0: Okay, Batman the Animated Series, Over the Edge. Much as was the case with uh, Twilight, my first viewing of this episode was under somewhat strange conditions and that only heightened the impact the episode had on me when it aired. I was on vacation with my family in Florida as as I was for Over the Edge. As I was for Twilight, I should say. And, uh, as I recall, my parents were down by the pool of our hotel, and I was just taking it easy in our in our hotel room for a couple hours, resting up from having gotten a bit too much sun and a bit too much exercise earlier in the day. And I was flipping the channels, and, uh, Batman the Animated Series came on. It was, of course, part of the Batman-Superman block that Kids WB had going at the time. And uh, I think I'd seen the Superman episode that aired, but I had not seen this before. And it, and you can imagine, a, a lot of people, when they first saw this episode, had the ending somewhat spoiled for them, and, and knew going in that the premise of the episode, at the very least, if not the ending, then the premise of the episode. But I didn't even know that. I had no idea an episode like this existed. And so you can imagine tuning in and just seeing this opening for the first time, and just my mind was blown, what the hell was going on, and... If, When you stop and think about it, of course, you know that Batman's identity won't be revealed and Commissioner Gordon won't go on a murderous rampage and Batgirl won't be dead and, you know, the Batmobile won't be blown up and all this other stuff. But when you're watching it, it really pulls you in and you don't think about that. You just, you're completely swept up on it, in it and you're thinking, oh my God, how can this be happening? But never for a second do you think, wait, this can't be happening. And... This episode was just like a wish list. It was like someone asked me, "What are like the ten things you would want to see in your ultimate Batman episode?" And I would have list them, and then they would have just go down the list, check them off, and animate them. You've got, you know, Batman versus the police; their identities revealed. You got Nightwing. You got deaths of major characters. You've got an ultimate showdown between Batman and Bane to the death. So many other things, and and the animation was fantastic. Bruce Tim mentions in the official commentary that this is one of the first episodes they ever had animated digitally. And they do a few little digital effects, like the one that just went by there with their perspective being distorted and, and coming down on the fall there. But it's just so clean and, and fluid, and, and the TMS animation, of course, helps a lot. But just visually, it's one of the most spectacular things they ever did. And now I've talked over so much great stuff, but I mean, this is all good. Alfred kind of gets short-shifted here a little bit, but it's interesting when you think about this episode from Barbara's point of view, because of course, and it's easy to forget this given all the, you know, incredible action that's going on throughout the episode, but when you stop and think about it, of course, this is Barbara's nightmare. And as such, you get to see the characters, not so much as they really are, and as how they would actually react were these things to happen but rather how barbara sees them and how barbara imagines they would act if these things were to happen so barbara imagines or or fears and this is not it must be said in all likelihood her her likely scenario of what would happen but given that it's a nightmare it is something she thinks could happen because a nightmare of course is not scary if it has no chance of actually happening a nightmare is only scary or is scariest when it is something that could actually happen in real life and as such this has to be something that barbara thinks could happen in the most extreme case even if it's not what would in all likelihood happen so these are the way these are things that she could see her friends and her family doing under the right circumstances she imagines that her father could given the right circumstances declare all-out war on Batman, Robin, and Nightwing if she were to die. And to her, Nightwing would be no more broken up over her death than he would be, you know, if his barber cut his mullet improperly. He says, I can't believe it would end that way for Barbara, and he just stands there completely dispassionately. So when you think about it from Barbara's point of view, that means that Barbara... Feels that Dick has no romantic feelings for her whatsoever anymore. Conversely, given how Batman reacts in this episode—that he's completely emotionally shattered, that he, you know, he's willing to fight to the death with Bane at the end, something he would never do—you know, he's willing to kill, or at least says he is. He—he's completely lost. He does—he tells Tim he doesn't know what he's going to do, his life completely shattered, and this is how Barbara thinks Batman might react if she were to die. Now, we know from Batman Beyond, a touch of curare, that, and this has been analyzed to death by fans, that she and Batman do have a romantic relationship at some point. So, given that she's probably harboring feelings for him now, during the time period of this episode, that would, the fact that she thinks... Or would, or would perhaps like to think Batman would react this way. I mean, the fact that she imagines that he might react this way is probably her wishful thinking that he has feelings for her as well, because if he only sees her as a co-worker, it's hard to imagine that he would react in the way he does in this episode. So, to her, perhaps, his feelings for her run deeper than he has indicated so far and the real world. I still can't believe they get away with this, (laughs) or they got away with this on Saturday morning TV in a cartoon, people falling off of buildings and landing on squad cars and dying in their father's arms. must be said, Barbara's probably right about Bullock. This is probably how Bullock would react. He wouldn't need much prodding to pull a gun on Batman and try to arrest him. And Bullock always seemed pretty sweet on Barbara anyway. Sorrow's like a, a niece or something. So that he would open fire on Batman doesn't take much doing. The animation on the smoke and way the way their bodies sort of morph into that the shadows moving amongst the smoke, and then Bullock sort of finds his way out of it again, just all the little animation touches are great and Bullock, I don't think has ever been as cartoonally cartoonally said a word cartoonally drawn as he as he is in this episode too, his features. Are, have always been pretty exaggerated in the revamp episode animation style, but in this, they seem to be taken one step further, and it works. I mean, it, it, actually, TMS animation is not as realistic as some of the other studios, but it is more fluid, and it always manages to work. Love Bruce's ice blue eyes. Just really eerie. Now, I wonder if Barbara actually keeps all her files on the Bat team on her computer, where they can be so easily accessed by anyone who happens upon them. Or, because, would that really be part of her nightmare if it wasn't actually the way she kept her files? If so, not not very prudent ever. Coming up is one of my all-time favorite Batman moments. Where Bruce looks at the portrait of his parents and Great, I don't know why that works so well. I mean it's kind of melodramatic when you think about it that you know he's apologizing to a painting of his parents, but and I love that shot too. Just a violation the the home that Thomas and Martha Wayne built being completely invaded by the police and just completely turned into a complete circus and a battleground. I love the... I love... Just, just look at this. Look at how little color there is in that frame. You've got Batman's shoulder, Batman's mouth, Nightwing's insignia and in face, and that's all you can see. The rest of the frame is just completely black. That's something they you know what, they they wouldn't have dared to do that back in the original run of episodes. They said that, um Bruce Tim said that when he was originally designing a lot of the characters, he didn't know how it would work if he were to just try some black on black stuff. If he he originally wanted Catwoman to have like an all black costume, but wasn't sure how it would work against black backgrounds. He didn't trust his own design sense enough nor did he trust the skills of the of the overseas animation studios enough to be able to reproduce that faithfully on a day-to-day basis so he made a lot of things that he wanted to be black dark blue or gray but here he made batman's costume black and gray he made nightwing's costume almost entirely black catwoman's costume was almost entirely black bane's costume becomes black a lot of other villains have their color schemes moved towards the darker areas, and that allows you to get frames like that, where almost everything is entirely black, and just the atmosphere just seeps in, just becomes overpowering, and it it really heightens the atmosphere of the show. They moved away from that a little bit in Justice League, where they sort of added some color back into Batman's costume and and so on like that, but I I always felt that... uh, The Bruce Timm animation was its most graphically impressive when it dared to do really, really dark shots like these. I think this is Mayor Hill's only appearance in the revamp episodes. I could be wrong. And Lloyd Wachner, the actor that played Mayor Hill, uh, just died very recently, as a matter of fact, just about a year ago. Several uh, actors from Batman the Animated Series have died just in the past few years, Lloyd Bachner and Steve Suskind, the actor who played um, Maxie Maxi Zeus, and uh, John Vernon who played Rupert Thorne. Unfortunately, as, as cold hard as it may sound, I imagine Nephram Zimblished Jr. will likely be next, given his advanced age. That'll be a, that'll be a real loss when that happens. I'm not sure this scene, I mean, I can understand the intention of putting it in there, that you just need a little bit of humor, or else you want to slit your wrist by the end of the episode, but by the same token, if you're going to go with an incredibly dark, bleak, apocalyptic, nihilistic episode, then, you know, as Bruce Tim would say, ring that bell, go balls to the wall, Don't, don't compromise and include a zany scene with Harley Quinn blowing her nose, you know? But... I mean, it's funny and it's a good scene and I like it, but in all honesty, I'm not. I think the episode would probably be better if it weren't there. It's really just a complete non sequitur, too. You could, you could cut out this scene and the couple of lines pertaining to it that are delivered by Bullock and Montoya, and you would not even know it was gone. Maybe would be adding a scene of what Joker thinks of these, of these events or whatever. Now, when I was watching this for the first time, I'm like, okay, who's who's Gordon talking to? It's That's Stonegate. It's not Arkham. So now I'm thinking, okay, who's in Stonegate? Penguin's in Stonegate. Croc, I believe, is in Stonegate. And then if, then I thought, wait a minute, Bane's in Stonegate. And the shot there where you see it's clearly a huge brood of a man, and it's clearly not Croc oh my god, they're going to have an ultimate showdown between Bane and Batman. Now, you might think if this episode is kind of like a greatest hits of the ultimate coolest things you would want to see happen in a Batman episode, it might make more sense to have Joker in there, but A, I think his his character would be completely the wrong mood for this episode. And B, as much as Joker is Batman's arch-nemesis and his quote-unquote ultimate foe, Bane has sort of taken on I don't know, it's it's hard to put into words. There's no denying that Joker is Batman's greatest foe, but Bane has taken on this role in the, in the comics and animation where he's sort of become the go-to guy for be-all and end-all stories. I mean, Joker, a Joker appearance on Batman the Animated Series... It's fun, and it's fun to, always fun to see Joker again, but when Bane showed up for the first time, it just brings a whole new level of excitement because fans who remember the Nightfall story arc from the comics and remember that Bane, of course, in the comics broke Batman's back and the whole story, story arc that that led into is, is fondly remembered by many. And every time Bane shows up, you kind of know that he's not going to break Batman's back on a children's cartoon show. But that image is always there in the back of your mind when you're watching any fight between Batman and Bane, and so each fight can't help but take on a certain mythic quality or a certain apocalyptic quality, and this one takes it to the nth degree. And stuff like that is just completely ridiculous, of course, (laughs) that Batman could lift a huge pile of rocks and pummel people with it, but... It's a dream, so you can get away with anything you want. And also, it's just cool to watch. And I love the way they use the bat signal here coming up in a second. And I was thinking about this before I sat down to record this commentary. I thought, I've always loved the way that they use the bat signal. But I couldn't quite put my finger on why I love it. And what I finally sort of struck upon was that Gordon always used the Bat-signal to contact Batman. It was a way of connecting himself to Batman and, and appealing for Batman's help. And in that sense, it it was a implicit acknowledgement on Gordon's part that he wasn't up to whatever task he was facing. And it was a way of, in a way it implicitly acknowledged Batman as, if not his superior, then at least someone who could do things that Gordon could not in whatever specific situation they were in. But when Gordon shines the Bat-signal on Batman here and blinds him with it and uses it to put him into a daze when he draws his gun on him, instead of establishing a connection between Gordon and Batman, it It destroys that connection. It, I'm not I'm not doing a very good job of putting it into words, but it reveals. I mean, Batman now stands completely revealed to Gordon. Gordon knows his identity. Gordon understands, to him, what a monster Batman has always been. And by shining the light on him, it shows that no longer does Gordon, no longer is Gordon reaching out for him. Gordon is now dismissing him and telling Batman, I understand everything that you are, and I find it disgusting. So it's a complete reversal of the way the Bat-Signal has always been used, not a symbol of their trust and friendship for each other, but a symbol of Gordon's rejection of everything that Batman represents. And that's just my ham-fisted, somewhat roundabout way of saying it's really cool. I mentioned this on the official commentary, but not only did someone undress her, they also very neatly folded her costume, put it by the bed, stood the little booties up. Someone was very meticulous. (laughs) I always felt a little unnecessary. Barbara's having this conversation with Batman about her greatest fears and so on, and how it all felt so real, and Alfred just leans in and says, to you it was. And then he backs away again. It's like, nice contribution there, Alfred. You're not helping. Go rearrange booties. I love this little uh uh-oh that Gordon gives. It's such a father thing. It's never a good sign when your kid tells you to sit down so they can deliver some news. Now, this of course implies that Gordon knows who Barbara is, and perhaps by extension knows who Batman is and all the others, although that could go either way. But what's interesting is his specific phrasing here when he says, just know that I love you, all of you. Now, that can be interpreted two ways. Taken literally, it might mean that I love you and the others. All of you being the entire Bat team. Now, that's just corny, eh? And B, I don't think anyone would actually argue that Commissioner Gordon loves Batman, neither as a brother nor anything else. I think the correct interpretation of that line, and I don't really see how it could be interpreted otherwise, is what Gordon is saying, that he loves everything that Barbara is, every aspect of her, and if one of those aspects is a vigilante, is back curl, then he's willing to accept that and love that part of her as well. Interestingly, apparently when this episode was dubbed for overseas airing, it was the former interpretation, not the latter, that some of them decided to go with. But, thanks for listening.